1: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the FCPA Compliance Report, Episode 417. First, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You wanted to talk about something in the compliance or compliance-related field but really had no idea how to get started? Take a listen from our sponsor, One Stone Creative.
2: If you're enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. And as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business. And One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net.
1: In this episode, I have three lawyers from Miller & Chevalier, Marina Kavaleuskia, Michael Skopitz and Ann Sultan, who are here to talk about the firm's inaugural Europe Caucus Asia Corruption Survey. It's a unique look into regional corruption risks and mitigation strategies for the Europe Caucus and Asia area. It's a fascinating exploration of where corruption stands and what you might do to mitigate those risks. I know you will find it useful and you will enjoy this podcast. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and you're in for a real treat today because I have three attorneys from Miller & Chevalier, and we're here to talk about the firm's uh, Europe Caucus Asia uh, report that recently came out, I guess, perhaps at the end of last year. I'm joined by Ann Sultan, counsel at Miller & Chevalier, Mike Skopitz, attorney at Miller & Chevalier, and... um, so I'm going to butcher this one, but uh, Myrna uh, Kowalewski, uh, maybe? Uh, I'm sure if you can correct me. Um, uh, an associate at Miller. So uh, with that uh, long-winded and butchered introduction, uh, everyone welcome, and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today.
0: Thanks
1: so much for having us on, Tom. Um. Thanks, Tom. So let's just jump into um, why did you guys or even the firm – Uh, want to survey uh, corruption in this region. I'm going to call it the ECA. Obviously, Miller's done the Latin American survey for many years. It's a very useful piece of uh, information for the compliance practitioner. But what drew you in this region?
0: Thanks, Tom. So um, just so that everybody's on the same page as to what exactly this region is, we define the ECA or ECA region as basically the 15 countries of the former Soviet Union. That would be Armenia, Azerbaijan, Belarus, Estonia, Georgia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Latvia, Lithuania, Moldova, Russia, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Ukraine, and Uzbekistan in alphabetical order. Uh, There were a few key factors that drew us to do this survey. Um, First, just in looking at the countries in the ECHA region, we've seen significant legal and political changes in a number of them, over the last couple of years and we thought that that those changes might have a meaningful impact on corruption in those specific countries and also potentially throughout the region. So we wanted to get a pulse on the current status there now. Um, Second, each of the three of us has a personal connection to the region and we all do work there. So Marina is from Belarus, Mike is from Latvia, my family is from Russia. And third, as some listeners know and as you mentioned, Miller and Chevalier has conducted a similar survey of corruption and compliance programs in Latin America over the last decade, and that survey and the results it's generated have provided information that's proved very useful for clients and others who are doing business in the region to gauge corruption and different risks throughout the countries of the Latin American region. So all of these factors kind of came together in the last year to inspire us to zoom in on the ECA region and see what we could learn and share about corruption and compliance programs there. Um, the main goal of our survey was really to look at this region and gauge in particular the experiences of business people with corruption in each country of the region and also to look at the various compliance practices and mechanisms that companies operating in the region have put in place to safeguard themselves. Many people... Um, as I'm sure we'll discuss more, um, think that the ECHA or ECA region is a pretty homogeneous uh, region. And given the country's background, of course, that's not surprising. The region, of course, has a common Soviet past. Russian is still a common business language across the region, even in countries where it's not even the official language. And there are very significant economic ties between some of the countries, including For example, uh, regional economic treaties like the Eurasia Economic Union. And there are governance similarities among the countries, including similarities in their legal and judicial systems. So all of this kind of makes people think that the region is very homogeneous and has similar risks across the countries. But at the same time, since the dissolution of the Soviet Union, in many ways, these countries have taken very different paths in their development. And so we surveyed these business executive board members, in-house legal counsel and other professionals working throughout the region for their insights specifically on each country so that we could gather data about the differences and similarities among the countries.
1: So what uh, were some of the key uh, differences or similarities that uh, you did identify?
2: Hi, Paul. Marina here. Well, as Anne has just mentioned, outside the ECHA region, there is a tendency to bunch all of the ECHA countries together. For example, as far as Eastern Europe, former Soviet states, or CIS. And uh, there is a broad perception that these countries are quite similar in risk. Uh, the survey, however, shows that this is very much not the case. Based on the survey responses we gathered, we divided the eco-countries into three main categories. So the first category includes Estonia and Lithuania, the countries with viable anti-corruption systems that show positive results. On the other side of the spectrum, there are countries where corruption continues to be a significant challenge for businesses. And these countries include Azerbaijan, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Moldova, Russia, and Ukraine. And the third group includes Georgia and Latvia, uh, the countries where corruption uh, is not pervasive, but it is anyway um, an issue of concern. As we found from the responses, the levels of corruption also vary significantly Based on countries, uh, on industries and government sectors within different countries. So even this approach to categorizing the countries does not uh, reflect all regional nuances. Interestingly, uh, we were unable to gather responses for several countries Armenia, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan. And this in our opinion, maybe a result in and of itself which reflects the reluctance of local professionals to speak about corruption. Since we conducted this survey, some major political changes took place in the region. In Armenia, uh, the new government declared combating corruption as one of its Key priorities um, In Uzbekistan, uh, its new government has recently introduced a number of anti-corruption reforms, including the laws on procurement and uh, the law on counteracting corruption. And we are uh, closely following these developments, and we do hope uh, to see positive changes in local law and enforcement practices in the near future.
1: So um, that's very interesting. Uh, the the lack of a response um, indicating information, uh, and certainly perhaps concern. But many of the countries that did appear to respond uh, that you've been able to uh, garner results from are certainly some of the larger economic powerhouses in the region: Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, at a uh, Ukraine, etc. Uh, does this lack of information? Uh, that you were able to garner, you feel, sort of raised the risk level? Or how would you uh, utilize that information in advising a client?
3: Um, Tom, thanks for that question. Um, It's it's certainly a data point to be considered. Um, However, in context, there are other indicia of of corruption risk that should be looked at. Um, We feel that you know, the absence of some sort of a formalistic response to the survey certainly just requires that companies pay more attention and devote more resources to uh, compliance that's specific to their circumstances, specific to the local parties that they're engaging with in those countries for which our data at least was not, uh, was not significant enough to report in the survey. And any, anything else, any other finding you take from the survey is certainly still going to be considered in context, both of the company's operations, uh, whether it's the sector that it operates and the industry and the local entities with which it engages, the local government functions with, within which it engages. So it, 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 I, I don't think it quite rises to the level of a red flag. The fact that uh, you know Armenia, for example, or Kyrgyzstan, is is one of these countries that a U.S. company is thinking of operating in, um, but it's a concern. And and that said, one thing we're hopeful for is that in future editions of this survey, especially given some of the reforms that Marina alluded to, um, given uh, just our, our interactions with local council in some of these countries, we hope that we'll see a greater number of responses and we'll see greater data about these countries, which will also mirror our experience with the Latin America survey, where each subsequent edition of the survey provided more data for more countries and we uh, were able to generate more useful data points in that manner.
1: So uh, I thought it was really not only uh, interesting but, uh, frankly, quite useful that you were able to tie not just corruption but also compliance Uh, Together in this survey. So, what were some of the things uh, you guys found about anti corruption compliance programs or perhaps uh, other types of compliance programs such as uh, anti money laundering or other things that were really specific uh, or surprised you about the ECA region?
3: Let me take that one too, Tom. Uh, With respect to compliance, as, as you can tell from the survey, we asked the participants to reflect on what we generally view as kind of the basic or key anti-corruption compliance hallmarks. And these are the typical hallmarks uh, that are identified in the FCPA Resource Guide and other DOJ and SEC guidance, as well as guidance from UK authorities in connection with the UK VA, the UK Bribery Act, as well as the World Bank's compliance regime. And what the survey responses show is that anti-corruption measures utilized by companies vary significantly by country and also notably by the location of company headquarters. And this last data point the company headquarters in particular is it's an interesting one but it makes a lot of sense given that multinational companies may have certain compliance related uh, legal requirements or obligations in specific jurisdictions where they're headquartered or where, where they have significant operations, such as obviously the US, UK, some other European countries are kind of at the top of, uh, top of mind with, uh, with respect to that. More specifically, we found that generally speaking, the compliance landscape certainly looks like uh, it, it could use some improvement. The most common compliance practice, anti-corruption compliance practice of companies working in the region is the implementation of an anti-corruption policy, which is obviously a foundational compliance block, and yet uh, fewer than two-thirds of respondents said that their companies have even that. On the other end of the spectrum, less than a quarter of respondents indicated having procedures for political contributions, and only about a third have dedicated compliance personnel or have compliance procedures related to third parties, such as monitoring or due diligence of third parties. And the main takeaway here, uh, for me at least, is that companies that, U.S. and multinational companies in particular that operate in the region, should devote significant attention and, 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 and pay particular care to reviewing and understanding the level of compliance and specific compliance mechanisms implemented by their local partners and their local counterparties because that obviously gives a potential rise to, or creates risk for the companies themselves, as well as, you know, I kind of take this as a given, but certainly local entities, whether it's subs or JVs of U.S. companies, of multinational companies, uh, you can't take for granted making sure uh, that they have sufficient compliance policies, auditing those policies, and make sure that they're not just on par with the region, but that they're on par with our expectation from a US centric perspective.
1: Michael, do you find that you get pushback from uh, people in this region when you try to either implement a uh, best practice compliance program and defined uh, as uh, one from the West, either United States or UK, do training on it, or uh, they, they either don't understand it or they really don't want an kind of an American or or, uh, English type of compliance program. Is that a problem?
3: Personally, I've I've not found that to be a problem. Uh, I, I think there is some initial reluctance, and not just in this region, but really globally, because people want to understand why it is that an American compliance lawyer is telling them what to do and how to do it. And once they understand that the roots of these are both good business practices and legal obligations of the companies whom i happen to represent uh they they certainly they they certainly pay heed and and they pay attention and for the most part they are happy to comply because i think once once you sit down with the people and especially if you're able to do it in the local language and kind of in the context of a local culture explain and and together understand why these things are important um, they they realize that they're not just doing it to satisfy my requirements or my U.S. or European clients' requirements. They're really doing it, and 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 it's going to improve their own business business situation as well. I don't know if um, Anne Marina, if you have had your other personal experiences in this area that have been different from mine, but that's been overwhelmingly my experience across the region.
0: Yeah, that's been my experience as well. Um, the only. The only pushback I've received is just from a lack of knowledge and experience on the ground with the the context of where the requests are coming from and why the FCPA can reach um, what people might perceive to be very local businesses.
1: And I guess that would tailor with uh, my experience as well. Really, once I've been able to explain that by having a best practices compliance program or even taking the training, it can be a business differentiator. Um, people understand that and, and they want to have that sort of uh, um, badge of compliance at least to make it uh, make them stand out from others in that region. Uh, one of the things that struck me from the takeaways of the survey was that uh, there's been uh, really a very large increase in not only the knowledge of compliance, about the importance of anti-corruption compliance programs over the past five years. Is this uh, something that you uh, all would see as a trend that would continue in the future?
0: We certainly hope that it's a trend that continues in the future. Um, and just speaking from my own experience, I think that it, our my experience backs up what we see from the survey in terms of companies who are doing business in the region taking their compliance programs more seriously over the last five years. And I think the aggressive U.S. enforcement coupled with international cooperation of other agencies in pursuing both uh, companies and individuals around the world also is going to help uh, push this trend along to make um, the importance of corruption prevention continue to increase in the region.
2: Well, we... We found that the survey results uh, also paint a very interesting picture of compliance program implementation across the region. And the data shows that the countries where companies demonstrate the highest level of implementation of anti-corruption compliance measures are surprisingly also the countries with the highest reported level of corruption. More than half of the respondents for Kazakhstan and Ukraine, uh, which, by the way, is in the midst of extensive anti-corruption reforms, say that they or people they know have been asked to pay a bribe last year. And about the same number of respondents also claim that they lost business to competitors who uh, paid the bribe. Interestingly, almost all of the respondents for Kazakhstan and Russia indicated that their companies, in fact, have anti-corruption policies in place. And at the same time, we see that for Estonia and Lithuania, the countries with the least corruption, respondents noted the lowest level of implementation of anti-corruption safeguards. So this fascinating result may suggest that the low level of corruption is not necessarily driven by company policy and may rather be the result perhaps of some cultural expectation. And another reason for this discrepancy may be also that companies in high risk jurisdictions implement stronger compliance measures because they are simply um, more accustomed to corruption risk. And these findings definitely show. That it is not enough to have a rigorous compliance program in place. For best results, it should be continuously revised to address country-specific risks. And it is also uh, important to pay close attention uh, to the dynamic uh, anti-corruption reforms in Ukraine, Uzbekistan, and Armenia to ensure that uh, compliance programs adequately reflect the Current situation, rather than some kind of historic trend.
1: So we um, we mentioned uh, early on in the podcast about Miller's uh, annual Latin American corruption survey that has been ongoing since 2008. And I was wondering, uh, do you all find is there any comparison to be made uh, between these two regions?
3: You know, that's an interesting. Question, Tom, and that's something that we certainly tried to do some analysis of and, and to see the extent to which we can maybe uh, compare specific takeaways or compare the region more broadly. And as as I think each of us has mentioned in different contexts so far, even within the ECHA region, there is a lot of differences among the countries with respect to different elements of corruption and compliance. And certainly comparing the ECHA region to Latin America, we see a lot more differences uh, in those areas. So kind of one of the most prominent observations is exactly that, that both regions, given their, you know, both have their own shared history, but within both there is a wide range of different types of economic drivers, different types of of, of policies, governance, et cetera. Both regions are very heterogeneous with both having countries with, significant corruption problems and, and significant improvements and, and, and countries where corruption risk is relatively low. And one particularly interesting thing about Latin America, since we've conducted several surveys there, is that over the last 10 plus years or so since we conducted the first survey, we've observed a very noticeable improvement in um, both the corruption and the corporate compliance landscape as I think you, know, you and any other professional in this area has certainly observed as well. Um, but looking at the data more specifically, uh, it, it, it's very tangible, uh, the areas in which uh, we can very definitely say that the, there are fewer problems or problems are being addressed. And it's to a significant extent, uh, these changes, these improvements appear to be driven uh by various types of strengthening of relevant government institutions and really a greater government focus on this area. And kind of, you know, comparing the regions again, one hope we have is that over time, as we uh as as we conduct the survey again and again to see what trends we can find in the Eco region, uh we hope to see some of the same trends in the eco region. We hope to see a strengthening strengthening of relevant government institutions which, as Marina mentioned, we're seeing some indications of already with new laws and reforms in several of the countries. And we hope to see a kind of a tangible impact that those reforms have on actual reporting of corruption and perhaps a reduction of corruption as an obstacle to doing business both locally and to foreign or multinational companies in the region.
1: Um unfortunately we are near the end of our time but I have been visiting with Ann Sultan, Michael Skopets and Marina Kavala Thank you for Miller and Chevalier on their most interesting um uh, Europe Caucasus Asia and a corruption survey. The thing that really struck me after listening to this podcast is not only the information that you have garnered and presented in this report, but also how this really sets as a um, baseline for additional research, additional surveys, and presentation of the information going forward. Thank you very much for having me on. Okay, we're going to link to all of this information in the show notes. So uh, thank you guys again. I look forward to uh, seeing what you come up with next.
3: Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it.
1: This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. We're going to link to the Miller and Chevalier Europe Caucus Asia Corruption Survey in the show notes, so take a look at it. I hope you'll join me again next week when we have another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network.
3: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.